Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. Hello, everyone. Very excited to be here to share some tools and techniques that I've found very useful for customer development. So let's get some definitions out of the way for those who have not done customer development or didn't Google it before you got here. Uh, customer development, it's a framework developed by Steve Blank. It's part of the Lean Startup methodology. Um, it usually is, goes after business model design and um, right before agile engineering. And focusing on customer development, customer development has four different phases. First being customer discovery, that's where you harness the company founder's vision and you create a series of hypothetical business models. Then you create a strategy to test and validate those hypotheses with real customers. Then customer validation examines the scalability and repeatability of the viable hypothesis. Customer creation, that's where you create a market or you access the market by building demand and awareness for the solution by activating sales channels. And finally, company building. That's when you get out of the startup mentality and move to a more ongoing execution-focused business. Or in the case of a, this works for big companies too. Uh, that's where you move from like a product idea or MVP stage to an actual line of business. So you can really split these into two different areas. The first two are about searching for a viable, scalable, repeatable business model. And the last two are about executing on that business model. So for this talk today, I'd like to focus on searching. You know, validating your hypothesis by getting out of the building and getting close to customers. And you're not going to get it right the first time. There's going to be a lot of iterations. You're going to fine-tune your business model over and over again as you discover more things with your customers. And sometimes you'll make a full pivot from what you thought the business model would be in the first place. Why is this important? Because a lot of products fail. Studies show about 60 to 80% of products fail. Um, and a lot of times it's due to the lack of understanding the customer. This guy understood customers pretty well. He was quoted as saying, get close, closer than you ever, closer than ever to your customers. So, so close that you can tell them what they need before they realize it themselves. Now, despite what people think, Steve didn't have a crystal ball where he can look in and say, I know what customers need before they even know it themselves. What he did was in the first sentence, he got close to the customers. That's how he found out their needs and then address those needs with solutions. For example, if you're sitting in a, in, a, in a restaurant and you look across the restaurant and see someone by themselves sitting down eating breakfast, you could look at them and think to yourself, oh, they're here 6 a.m. in the morning, 
probably because they're hungry. They need breakfast, right? But if you got up and walked over to that person and sat down and engaged with them, maybe you'd find out that they have to be here at 6 o'clock in the morning every day because they have a certain dietary requirement. Maybe they have a medical condition. And maybe this restaurant is the only place that, can, that has the food that they need that was prescribed by the doctor. When you engage with the customers, you find out the underlying need, what motivated them to get to that place. And when you sit down with them, you have to ask the right questions. Einstein said, if I had an hour to solve a problem and my life depended on the solution, I'd spend the first 55 minutes determining the proper question to ask. For once I knew the proper question, I could solve the problem in less than five minutes. Proper questions to ask is important. How you ask them is important as well. You want to ask open-ended questions. You want to stay away from leading questions. For example, a good open-ended question was, what made you purchase this brand? A leading question you want to stay away from would be something like, don't you like my shoes? <laughs> Every product manager knows this quote from Henry Ford. If I had asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Henry Ford knew a long time ago that focus on, focusing on addressing a need is more important than focusing on customer requirements. So product managers have to ask themselves these questions. What do customers really need? How might we better meet those needs? How might we create sustainable advantages? Sustainable because you want to be a, build a viable business out of them. Advantages so you can beat the competition. During the innovation process, in the beginning, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's, um, there's many ideas out there. And then as you do your discovery, you start seeing patterns, and then you get more insights, and then you hone in on a more viable solution. You put a prototype out there. Um, then you get down to meeting the customer needs of the most personas out there. This is the diverge and converge concept. Uh, for example, if you and your coworkers want to go out to lunch, first you would diverge by saying, uh, what cuisine are we going after? Do we want Indian food, Italian food, Mexican food, Korean food, you know, smokehouse barbecue, what are we going to do? And then you converge on a cuisine. Then you diverge again. Well, how far do we want to go? Do we want to take a scooter somewhere? Do we want somewhere we can walk to? Are we going to jump in an Uber? Then you converge on how far you're going to travel. Then you diverge again on the price points. You want some high end, medium, low end? You get the picture. But at the end, you come out with a decision that satisfies most of the customers involved. Now, there is some creativity and innovation, but most of it is really a process. And it's about the intersection of these three things. Uh, people and their desirability. People have to want it. Um, business viability. It has to make money. Or it has to move whatever metric that's important to your company. And then technically feasible. We have to be able to bill it. Build it. We have, you know, do we have any business in this space? 
can we, uh, can we win in this space? And I've, I've done a lot of work in design thinking and I've discovered that design thinking, Stanford University's design thinking aligns very nicely to um, Steve Blank's customer development, especially in the empathize and define phages. One of the tools I like is need finding. There's a saying, good products respond to customer demands. Great products respond to customer needs. So need finding is observing and engaging people to learn about their goals and values, to be able to uncover user needs and opportunities for improvement. So let's talk about this case study. There was this brilliant engineer named David uh, Doug Dietz, and he was a medical imaging uh, systems designer for GE Healthcare. And he came out with this great MRI machine, state-of-the-art, award-winning, high-tech, bleeding edge. And he couldn't wait to see it in action, so he decided to go to the hospital and observe it being used. So all excited, he waits to see it, and um, the, care ter uh, the healthcare worker was walking a pediatrics patient in to get an MRI scan. And this kid was scared to death. Tears in his eyes, couldn't move, frozen solid. So bad that they had to call in an anesthesiology, anesthesiologist to sedate the kid so he would stay still throughout the MRI process. So Doug was like, man, this, this is not viable. I gotta do something. Maybe it's, maybe it's the noise in the MRI machine scares the people and I, I gotta figure this out. So he actually took a course in human-centered design, learned some design thinking techniques um, where you get out the building, get close to your customers. So he talked to different child life specialists, um, different healthcare workers, healthcare professionals, he even went to a children's museum and talked to people that, you know, did things with children and um, brainstormed a bunch of different things. And what he came up with is this. He made an experience park <laughs> out of the MRI room. So in the right, you see a pirate's adventure where patients are on a dock and there's a shipwreck and some sandcastles in the corner. And then, you know, children, they work on a plank, they walk the plank in order to get scanned. And then down on the bottom you see Coral City and it's an underwater adventure and they have a disco ball in there and lights go all over the room and it makes the children think they're underwater. And he did a few different one of these. And what do you think the result was? Kids couldn't wait to get an MRI scan. <laughs> they didn't need uh, to be sedated. Uh, they didn't need, you know, they, they didn't even want to leave. They wanted to stay there and play. So, and you know, the result, what do you have? The child stays still, there's less repeat scans, there's less need for anesthesiologists. So you get a great customer experience, you get a great employee experience, and you, it helps the bottom line. Less repeat scans means the process moves quicker. Another case study. Uh, students at the Stanford Design School were challenged to design a less expensive incubator for babies born prematurely in Nepal. Um, so the, the course they were in was called Design for Extreme Affordability. So 
it couldn't just be a little incremental change. It couldn't make the incubators 10% less. It had to be a drastic change. So design thinking course, of course, they're going to travel to where the process is. They travel to Nepal, and um, you know, they talk to different stakeholders in this. And they were surprised to discover that there was a lot of donated incubators there that were unused at the hospital. They weren't even being used. They have this great mortality rate here with problem with premature births, and these incubators aren't even used. So they dig, dug deeper to find out why, and they used empathy to discover that the doctors weren't their users, but it's really the parents who had the need. So they had to pivot their thinking. And after the visit, they understood that the primary need was keeping the baby warm. So they used pictures and videos and storytelling. They brainstormed a bunch of solutions. And they came out with this infant warmer. And it cost 99% less than an incubator. This is a huge innovation. So they took the pilot and formed a company called Embrace. And now they have programs in over 11 countries with this infant warmer. They never would have understood this if they didn't go and engage with the customers and understand what the need was. So the first phase of design thinking, as I said, is empathy. The ability to understand and share the feelings of others. Taking on the feeling of others. Walking in someone's shoes, you get it. <laughs> Uh, Ken talked about a lot of biases. I'm going to throw a few more in the mix. This is what you have to be aware of when you're doing empathy studies. Projection bias. You assume other people think the same way you do. We're all guilty of it. Confirmation bias. We, we look for, interpret, and remember information that fits our existing models. So we did a great job making this business model and now we're gonna go out and try to prove that our business model is right. That's confirmation bias. No, you wanna go out and learn <laughs> what the need is and change your business model to feed that need. Fundamental attribution error. You, we overestimate the effect or disposition, um, of disposition or personality, and we underestimate the effect of the situation in explaining social behavior. For example, um, you're driving on the highway and someone cuts you off. You, you yell, that jerk, or you may use some other words. You are, um, you're overestimating the personality of that person. You, you figure they cut you off because they're a jerk. Now, I know no one in product con here ever cut anybody off, but you know, I, when I've cut someone off, it wasn't because I was a jerk. You know, it was an external factor. It was a situation. But I assure you, I'm not a jerk. <laughs> we have to watch out for that when doing empathy studies. Let's not confuse it with sympathy. Sympathy is, you know, feeling pity or compassion or sorry for someone. Oh, man, that sucks. Or that sucks to be you. Which, what you need to do is this. Or what you should have done, that, that's sympathy. Empathy is putting yourself in their shoes. It's taking on their feelings for yourself. 
actors have to do this when they want to play a role accurately. When they want to be, be that person in the role, they have to empathize with the person that they're playing. So, the steps in empathizing, you observe, you engage, like I said in the restaurant, and you experience it for yourself. Um, when you go to observe a customer, it's either in their current state, or maybe you, you observe them using a prototype. You want to look at the, the people around, what are they doing, what are they struggling with, um, what are their pain points. You want to look at the environment, the objects they're interacting with, uh, what is the environment like. You want to use all this data to understand the customer situation. On the engaged side, open-ended, like I said, open-ended questions. You want, the people, you want to get the people talking. You want to have a conversation with them. You want to get them to tell you stories. You don't want to end, ask close-ended questions, like just yes or no questions, or just one-word answers. You want, to, you want to say, how did you feel about that? What did you like about that? Get them talking. And then you'll, you'll um, get insights out of that conversation. You're listening more than talking. Theodore Roosevelt had a quote where he said, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. To learn about a customer's needs, they have to be convinced that you care about their needs. And when you go and talk to these people, this is not a sales meeting. And it can be tough, especially in B2B sales. In order to access the customers, you have to tag along with a salesperson. You have to have a talk, just like you have to talk to a little kid before you go in the supermarket and tell them not to touch anything. You have to have a talk with the salespeople and say, I'm in here to do customer discovery. This is not a sales meeting. Do not talk about all the great things that our products do. We're here to learn about the customer, to empathize with them. You need to come with a disposition of curiosity and not of knowing. On this side, you have curiosity where you're coming with not knowing the answer and you want to figure it out. You don't come with knowing the answer already. You look for surprises. You look to learn things. You don't come in and saying that I know everything already. Um, use open-ended prompts, not leading questions. So again, this is discovery, not selling. Most importantly, you leave your ego at the door when you're going in for customer discovery. Then you make a map. You log everything that you heard said. You log everything that you saw the customer do. At the bottom, you write down what they think. You write down how they feel. And you're saying to yourself, how do I know what my customers think? Well, you know what they think a lot better when you're face-to-face -face with them than just reading a bunch of data. You know, data gives you information, but being face-to-face -face with the customer gives you a why behind that information. Customer journey map is a good tool. Um, this is where you map out a complete process. This is an example of you know, an, a person going in for, to fix their LCD screen, going into the Genius Bar. Um, all the different interactions that they have with your brand and customers, all the back-end processes that happen, 
and then the moment of truth at the end. So in the customer journey map, you map out the process, um, all the pain points, all the struggles and frictions they have during the process, you, um, all the touch points, anytime the customer interacts with your product or your brand, you note that. And the moment of tooth, truth is when the person decides whether they love your product or they don't love it, whether they decide to buy or not buy. Let's take the example of buying a car. You're walking into the showroom. Um, some pain points might be you don't like the lighting or maybe you're waiting too long to get waited on. Some touch points would be maybe out in the parking lot one of the salespeople talked to you there, then you talked to their receptionist when you walked in, and then uh, maybe someone on the showroom floor, that would be touch points. And then the moment of truth is when you decide you're gonna buy. Now, even though you had a bad experience, you may have bought the car anyway because of the price. And in that case, price was the motivating factor to make your decision. But someone, a different type of customer, a different persona, may have bought the car because they love the customer experience, they appreciate the customer service, or the fact that maintenance, uh, world-class maintenance is important to them, or the fact that you don't have to do any maintenance at all. This is how you segment your customers. And in we have personas. So a good amount of customer discovery you do, you're gonna talk to tens of hundreds of customers, hopefully, and you'll find that there are certain types of customers and you'll bucket them in different customer types. These are personas. You get as detailed about these customer types as possible. And then you make a, a person out of them, a persona. You give them a name, you, uh, you, know, you talk about their likes, you get their background, what they do on the weekends, um, what their age range is, how much money they make. You get as detailed as possible about this person. You give them a name, you use them in your user stories. And even though you get that detailed, this is not an actual person. It represents a customer segment. And then you'll have different customer segments that you want to target your solution to. Uh, when I was a process engineer, we used this term a lot, go to Gemba. So Gemba is a Japanese term that refers to the actual workplace location. So again, you get out the building and you get close to your customers by being where they perform the work. And when you observe them performing the work, you learn a lot. Um, point of view is another one. This is where you, you, know, you change your point of view based on the data you have a concise reframing of the problem that is grounded in the needs, not the product itself. Mr. Levitt said, people don't want a quarter inch drill, they want a quarter inch hole. He's, he's turning his point of view away from the product, a drill, to what the job to be done. This is job to be done theory. When you look at what the customer is trying to achieve, the job to be done, then you can innovate better ways to do it that you wouldn't have thought of if you were focusing on the product itself. What do customers really want? What is their motivation? Get to the why behind it. Components of point of view is you have a user. This is kind of like a user story here. 
you have what they're trying to do and the insight you get from what they're trying to do. Let's go back to the infant warmer example. So Embrace, the company, their point of view is now that the user is the desperate Nepali mother living in this remote village where they didn't have the means to get to these hospitals. Uh, the need is to keep their pre premature baby warm to give it a chance to survive. The insight is that most mothers don't have the means to bring their baby to the hospital. So the point of view changed from the doctor or the hospital and moved to the parents. Needs, needs are pretty consistent, but solutions aren't. We can all agree that we wanna capture memories in our daily lives, right? But I doubt too many of us are still using Kodak to do that, right? So you find the needs and um, you can innovate on solutions to meet those needs because those needs are pretty much always going to be there. And lastly, I'd like to talk about my favorite method for working through these business models. Alexander Osterwalder and Eve um, Pinure designed this business model canvas. You may be familiar with it. And... Um, because you're not just testing a product idea, you're testing the whole business model, the sustainability of it. Need finding, that helps with the value proposition you see in one. Uh, personas help you with customer segments you see over in uh, number two there. Journey maps can help you figure out the right sales channels. And empathy can help with pretty much everything. It can help you determine the customer relationship. You know, is this a, do you, is, is this customer, your relationship with them via the web? Do you use a salesperson to interface with your customers? Is it brick and mortar? Uh, and empathy can also help with the revenue models. How much is a person willing to pay for something? And, um, you know, if you, look, if you look in the upper right side, that is really the people um, desirability portion of innovation. Over on the um, left side is, can we do this? Is it technically feasible? You know, do you have the right partners in place? Do you have the right processes in place? Do you have the right resources to do this? And along the bottom is the business viability. It's the revenue equation. Is the costs and the revenue gonna balance out to where you're making a profit? So really, all this is innovation and all of your um, need studies and empathy maps feed the business model until you have a viable one and you um, understand your customer and can execute on something that they will actually love. So, I, you know, I hope you learned something and can take some of these tools and tips on customer development in your uh, daily product lives. And if you're going to remember one thing from this presentation, get out of the building and get close to your customers. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.